Welcome to the Most Accurate Podcast, brought to you by 444.com. I'm your host, Greg Smith, and the track you heard to open this show was Horns Arising by Black Mountain from their new album, Destroyer. I had the chance to see them live back in March, and in person, this new stuff held its own against all my favorite jams from their older records, including what I think is their best one, 2008's In the Future. Uh, Not every album sounds the same. But I recommend their entire catalog, especially if you're into the heavier flavors of rock music like Motorhead or Deep Purple or Black Sabbath, something like that. And if you want to hear Horns Arising in full, just click the link in the show notes to the TMAP B-Sides playlist on Spotify. Uh, But otherwise, on today's show, I'm going to talk to a special guest, the great Pete Davidson of Rotobond.com. He was one of the analysts drafting in the 12-team PPR mock draft that I recently wrote up over at 4 for 4. Uh, you can find that link in the show notes as well. And Pete and I are going to talk about his strategy in the mock. We're also going to take a more granular look at some NFL depth charts to see if we can identify any potential traps based on the community's assumptions of usage, you know, pecking orders around the league, things like that. And we'll close out the show with a check-in on the hype levels of a handful of fantasy quarterbacks. But before I bring Pete on, I want to let you know that 444.com's earlier bird rate is still available through June 30th. If you sign up before then, not only will you get our best rate of the year on all of 444's amazing tools and projections, you'll also get a $35 coupon to join an FFPC league. That's enough for a free entry into one of their best ball leagues, or you can just use the $35 coupon towards any of their other league formats. And on top of all that, if you sign up at 444.com by June 14th, uh, that's only two days away as we're recording this, so you're going to have to listen to this early to get under that gun. Uh, but if you do get in by June 14th, you'll be entered in for a chance to win a signed Devontae Adams jersey. No coupon codes or anything like that. Just go to 444.com, subscribe today. You'll be entered into the drawing automatically and take your fantasy game to the next level. So with all that out of the way, Pete Davidson, welcome to the show. Rotobond.com, at Rotobond on Twitter and the host of the Fantasy Football Hour on WEEI in Boston. How you doing, Pete? Welcome in. I'm good, Greg. How are you, man? I'm doing all right. It's uh, it's starting to ramp up in fantasy football land, isn't it? Uh, isn't it crazy to say that in on you know June 12th? I mean, if you had told people like when I started playing fantasy football that people would even be talking about it, even in a passing way at this time of year, if they would have laughed at you. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I'm looking to join more best ball leagues. I'm feeling a little weird because I don't have any. I'm not on the clock in even one rookie draft right now. So yeah, it's uh. I'm definitely. This is the this is the point of the year where I turn my guns to uh, best ball and redraft. Right, and with that kind of drafting mentality in mind, let's talk about that PPR mock draft I teased in the intro. There, you were lucky <laughs> enough to land a top three pick in this thing, so it was probably a pretty easy decision for you to take one of the elite yeah. running backs, and you chose Zeke Elliott. But I'm curious where you think the breaking point is for you between the bell cow running backs and your top wide receiver or tight end in that first round of PPR drafts, like. At what point in the first round would you have pivoted away from running back to take a receiver? I mean, it's a good question, obviously. Um, I'm probably in the mid mid part of the round. Um, I mean, definitely Barkley, Elliott, McCaffrey, Kamara. I'm, there's no way I'm taking a receiver before one of those four backs. Um, then it gets a little closer when you get into the Gordon, David Johnson guys who are sort of the next guys on my board. Um, I, I definitely get tempted to take a nuke or an OBJ. Um, over those guys um, in best ball for what it's worth I will hold on to the running backs a little deeper into the round yeah. um, I, I, I like to take a running back in best ball early if I can I like to take running backs really as much as possible in the first one two three four rounds really if I can because I really like filling my receivers late in best ball but uh, in this draft this was not a best ball scoring draft um, I, I mean I I think I mentioned to you that um I know I mentioned you. You put it in the article now that I think about it, that I, I thought Hopkins was a steal yes. uh, in this draft. And, and quite honestly, for me, if I had been at eight, he would have been the eight pick, I think. He might have been the pick for me at seven as well, and, and, and at six maybe even. Yeah, I agree that it was very strange to see Hopkins slide that far. And yeah. I get because this Evans- was. Well, correct ahead. me if I'm wrong. I'm sorry to cut you off. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. I think we drafted before the little thing on him that he had a little procedure before That's that right. came out. So that wasn't a factor. No, but I was yeah surprised to see Evan Silva take Devontae Adams as that first wide receiver, even though you know Devontae Adams is the wide receiver too in ADP, right. so I shouldn't have been too surprised. Right. But then to see Hopkins fall behind Juju and Odell Beckham and yeah. Julio Jones, who was just... 
I don't really understand that sort of slide for a guy who is so proven and such a you know physical specimen too. Like you know, you can see when he plays why he scores so many fantasy points. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I mean the the thing about Hopkins is that he's proven to be durable to circumstance. You know what I mean? His yeah. quarterback goes down, he keeps producing. The guys around him go down, and he's getting double teamed constantly. He still produces. So that's my kind of player. Where I you know unless he gets hurt. I feel like I have a chance with him. So, yeah, I'm 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 a big fan of Nuke. Well, and we don't have the same sort of usage questions surrounding DeAndre Hopkins that we do around maybe someone like Juju Smith-Schuster, who, even though we know that Juju is great, we haven't right. seen him as the locked-in wide receiver one yet to this point because Antonio Brown has always been there in Pittsburgh. And Odell Beckham changed teams. We know that there are often issues with wide receivers going to different teams in free agency or by trade. Uh, Julio Jones, I think, actually fits the same mold as Hopkins. Like, we've seen him be that target magnet year after year. I think if you want to take Julio Jones over DeAndre Hopkins, I'm not going to try to stop you. I think that's a perfectly reasonable take to have. Uh, but, yeah. yeah, I mean, what do you think about that in terms of Odell Beckham, Juju Smith-Schuster? Do you have any questions about their potential usage this season? I I mean, look, with Beckham, I, I guess until I'm hearing really happy, positive stories in camp, there's some tiny little concern Maybe, but I, as I mentioned, he was—he would probably be my first or second wide receiver up the board. I just love the talent, and I think he's got his best quarterback of his entire football career uh, this year. I mean, obviously, he didn't have this kind of quarterback at LSU, and and uh, back half of Eli Manning's career. Uh, I, I don't think Eli is uh, quite Baker Mayfield. So, I, I, to me, Beckham is stepping into something that we've never seen before. And I, I think he could be phenomenal. Um, you know, Devontae Adams, I, I thought Evan was making a safe pick there. Um, just the targets are so secure for Devontae. This whole group, just to sort of, sorry, I'm meandering my way around your question here, but I just don't have a strong preference from Adams, Beckham, Hopkins, Julio, um, even Michael Thomas for me, uh, even Antonio, to be honest with you. All of those guys are a very tight group for me. And I, I, I don't get too hung up on which one I take, to be honest. Yeah, and it almost makes sense to do what Evan did or what TJ Hernandez did and just take two of them, and that way you kind of double your sure. chances of getting that wide receiver one. But with that sort of nebulous nature of this tier of wide receivers in mind, what does that do to your opinion of the top tight end on the board, Travis Kelsey? Because Kelsey is effectively the number one receiver on the Chiefs, so he should stack right. up against someone like Mike Evans or Michael Thomas, and he was drafted right in between those players in this mock. Where does Kelsey slot in your overall rankings relative to these high-end receivers and maybe that second-tier running backs? I mean, there are certain leagues where I'm more than willing to take Kelsey in the first round if I feel that tight end value in the format that I'm in is, is strong. Um, in a typical league like the one we were in in this particular draft, I, you know, I thought he stayed on the board a little longer than, well, no, nah, I'd say actually he's probably right in about the right spot for me. Um, I probably would take him over maybe Connor, maybe one person in that area. I, I, I'm a little concerned with John Connor with his workload. I, I, history says it should be really strong, but I sort of like the other two backs on the team. But uh, the general area where Kelsey went, I, I'm fine with it, and, and, and I'm and I'm with you on your take on him. He's number one receiver. Um, I you know I don't think we're going to see Tyreek Hill for quite a while, so ho hopefully never. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I usually don't like to pay up for tight ends in that way, uh, but in this draft, that's exactly what you did. After Kelsey went, you know, towards the beginning yeah, of the I second round. Funky. I don't know. <laughs> well. Let's talk about it. What kind yeah, of spurred you to take Zach Ertz in the second round and then wheel back with George Kittle? You want me to come up with a real reason or you want the truth? <laughs> I, well, I, I mean, I was making picks on my phone on the way to and from my volleyball game. So I, I definitely was a little bit distracted. But I, I, I mean, the Ertz pick I was very comfy with. I know you thought the Ertz pick was a little early. Um, which is fine. I mean, I think uh, there's a, there's a pretty broad spectrum of opinion on Ertz going into this year relative to what we saw him do last year. I think a lot of people think the targets could dry up a little bit. And 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 that that makes a little sense to me. I I just feel like he's sort of the rudder in in that passing game apart from the quarterback obviously. I feel like Ertz is the key central component in that passing game. I don't feel like his I don't feel like his production can go too far south. Um, and I, I just feel very comfortable with him in a PPR format. 
No, and I get that. I think it's a fine pick. It, this is more, when I panned the Ertz pick in the article, that was more about how I feel regarding the tight end position in general. Yeah, I'm just not going to take a tight end it. in the second round. You know you what I mean? You said, well, I can't remember exactly how you worded it. You said, if I was going to pick on some pick, I would pick on Pete's pick. That's fine. I, I, hey, look, man, if you can't handle a little criticism in a fantasy football draft, I mean, get out of our industry, right? I mean, that's that's half the fun is, is trying to needle each other over these picks. But, yeah, yeah. just in general, like with tight ends, my goal is usually to kind of pull from that middle tier of you know mostly proven upside guys that come after the big three so that first group would be like evan ingram oj howard hunter henry i'm probably not touching eric ebron this year who's kind of in that range i'm with you on that i just literally just traded ebron in a dynasty yesterday yeah it makes sense like speaking of red flags like all the red flags that you know i might have talked up in terms of Ertz, like those are just as prevalent for Ebron, and we know that Ebron is not on the same level as Ertz in the first place. So I think it's, he's a pretty easy player to fade. But I don't I'm, think... per, I'm pretty sure that Ebron and uh, Andrew Luck aren't best friends either. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a narrative, but I mean, Luck and Ertz spend a lot of time together. They're both God guys. You know, they're they're tight, and I think you know on third down, there's a trust factor there, and I do think you see it in the target totals a little bit. You said Luck and Ertz. Did you mean a, a different pair? Of I, I, I'm sorry. I meant I meant Luck and Ebron. Gotcha. I, I yeah. don't think there's that connection with Ebron and Luck that we have with Ertz and Wentz. Yeah, I'm just. I just think that there's still real opportunity cost for taking, especially those top three tight ends, but also yeah. this other tier: Evan Ingram, Howard, and Henry. And but I do think it is possible to make up for that downside, you know, by hitting on wide receivers and running backs in the later rounds. That's right. You know, that's you know always going to be a part of drafting. But if I miss figure, out on figure those the guy top who wins six, the league, I'm sorry, but figure the guy who wins the league is going to nail some picks in the seven, eight, nine area, right? Yes. One that's way or the probably, other. That's that's what I'm going to need to do too. So I I don't feel like it changes what my to do list drastically. It, it it shuffles around my priorities a little bit, but. I, I have to admit, I am the kind of person where I enjoy unique team builds, and you put me in a draft with this many really sharp drafters, and this one, I mean, phenomenal job. I I, I was sort of having a, um, <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with the movie Rounders. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I, it's like the first minute of the movie Rounders, Damon says something to the effect of, like, you know, like, here's the thing. If you can't spot the sucker in your first 30 minutes at the table then you're the sucker. <laughs> That's sort of what I felt like when I sat down at the table in this draft. It's like I'm looking around like, okay. <laughs> yeah, but and by I'm, the end of the movie, Damon's like, but I know I'm good enough to sit at that table. You know what absolutely, I mean? Absolutely, absolutely. And I know I'm good enough to sit at the table. And so when I get in, I like unique team builds. And when it came back around to me with Kittle, I was in my car. I looked down. I'm like, well, who's the most valuable player? And I just took, I sort of snap picked Kittle without really thinking of the implications. Like, what are you going to say on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to say on Twitter when people start saying, why did you do that? Um, so, you know, in that regard, it's maybe not the best avenue. But I like unique team builds. I think they lead to unique teams. And I'm a big believer in accepting your odds going into a draft so i'm i'm looking at this room i'm looking at evan silva and pat thorman and and josh and and harman and scott barrett and and all these just you know jj and all these amazing tj and and anthony and everybody and i'm like well i i need to do something a little bit original here i don't think a vanilla draft is going to get it done you know um so try something different why not yeah, everybody in this room knows how to beat a vanilla strategy. But, yeah. I mean, with that said, when it comes to tight end, I do think there's value in being somewhat vanilla. Like, again, kind of waiting on it the depends. position, not sacrificing that opportunity cost. And I, I think the real thing for me is that I like a lot of the value guys going in that, like, tight end 7 to tight end 12 range. Like, I already mentioned Ingram, Howard, and Henry. But yeah. the next tier down, Jared Cook, Vance McDonald, Austin Hooper... I, I just I like the situations for those players yeah, too, and so I can't I justify don't. paying up. Okay, <laughs> I, I've, I mean I. Well, let, let's look at it this way. I'm sitting there with Zach Ertz, and you're coming at me with, and you're my opponent, and you're coming at me with Vance McDonald. I feel pretty good about that. But I only have to play you once or twice a year, and that's I guess where I come out on it. Right, right. But I'm looking at me every week. Sure. Um, so on on the average, most half the teams I play will be coming at me with somebody in that area, and I feel pretty good about that. Now, obviously, 
that my opponent feels good about his matchup with my number one receiver. That's the that's the rub. Uh, absolutely. So for me, you know, so those teams have to try to compete with me at the at the tight end. I have to try to compete with them at the number one receiver spot. Or perhaps in my case, I doubled up. So now I've got issues at number two running back and number one receiver in sort of a generic sense. Um, and yeah, that's the gauntlet I threw down to myself. Um, so I guess the question is, if you look at my team, how did I do with the next uh, 13 picks? Did I did I did I create a problem and fix it? Or, or did I just light my team on fire? Well, let's say that you did miss out on the high-end tight ends and you had to draft one who's going later. Or if you just wanted to have a draft like me where you prefer to wait. Um, what sort of yeah. late-round tight ends would you recommend to listeners for you know targeting in that range? Sure. I mean, and that's the irony. I'm a tight end drafter. Like, I mean, if you talk to the people I play against, you're like, oh, yeah, Pete taking tight ends. That's like, you know, the sun rising. Um <laughs> I mean, I, I do tend to do that, but I, it's something that I've been able to make work for me. I've, I, I won a league last year with nothing but sharks in the league, and my tight ends were Ingram, Ertz, and Kittle. Uh, it was it's a double flex fourteen team league, and I started three tight tight ends every single week, and I won. The jumbo um, set. Yeah, and I did the same thing in Scott Fish's league, the uh, Capitalist Pigs Two league. I started four tight ends every single week. Um, and it's a 56 team dynasty league and I won. So it, it, it can work. This particular example of it, I think is an example of me probably, what's the term? Shooting the moon or <laughs> right. over, overstriding, whatever you want to call it. I definitely reached a little bit too far, I think. Um, I, I mean, truth be told, if this was a money league and it was all about me trying to win and nothing else and this was going to play out, um, my picket in the third round, I would have probably done it different. I probably would have taken Kittle in the second, and I probably would have taken, believe it or not, an even more controversial pick in the third. I probably would have taken Derrick Henry. Um, but when I come around in the third in this draft, I'm very interested to see what's going to happen to Derrick Henry. And I know if I take him, I learn nothing, right? And if I take Damian Williams, I learn nothing. Um, those are some of the backs that I really like in that area, along with Carrion Johnson. And what I was thinking when I got to that third round pick is if I don't take a running back here, is there a chance that one of my guys gets to me? Um, now, Damian Williams ends up being the very next pick to Scott Barrett. But Henry and Johnson, I came within a couple picks of those guys. So the experiment almost sort of worked. Anyway, sorry, I'm going on a tangent here, but that, that's sort of what my thought process was. No, that's great. And I actually want to dig in deeper on Henry with you later. But uh, before we do, let's finish out this tight end conversation. And Yeah, I'm sorry. You asked me a question. Um, Njoku is a guy I like late. Um, Andrews really late is a guy I like, although there's a hype train building on Andrews. And uh -huh. I do think there's some there's some risk factors with him that I think people on the hype train don't maybe talk enough about. But I'm sort of on both sides of the Andrews thing. I love him as a late value kind of steal. But if he starts moving up, into that tight end 14 range, then I start getting a little bit risk averse. Um, uh, some other guys I like, um, Vance, you mentioned before, I think at, if I can get him at the right spot, I like him. Herndon on the Jets, I think it's a guy. Um, I think Hawkinson, um, where he's going now, is an interesting player for value. Those would be some tight ends I like. Uh, Goddard is another one. Are you touching any of the older more proven to be injury prone guys like Tyler Eifert or Jordan Reed at all? Um, I, you know, in, in best ball, not a chance. Um, in leagues where I can cut and use free agency, um, I would have some interest in those guys. Sure. If it's a deep enough league, I, I, I need the eraser on my pen though. Yeah. My pencil, you know, like in best ball, I don't like taking guys like Eifert. I feel like I'm, I value every single roster spot in best ball, even my last couple. Um, I, I like to draft heavy if I can. I don't like taking guys with massive injury histories in leagues where I have no recourse. What are you doing with Rob Gronkowski? If you own him in a dynasty league or what have you done with him? If you did own him, uh, because there have been these rumors about him unretiring, right? And so I'm wondering, should owners be dropping or trading him for anything they can get? Do you just hold out hope? Like, what's your plan with Gronk right now? Well, I did a full Gronk divestment about a year and a half ago. So my Gronk shares were gone going into last year. So I got lucky on that one. 
Um, if I had Gronk, I'd hold, unless it's a really, really short league where I'm paying a huge cost for holding him. I would hold him. Um, I don't think I'd go out and acquire him, just because I his level of play slipped enough where I don't feel it's I just don't feel like going. I, I don't think I would go pay to get him back on my roster. Um, but I, I definitely wouldn't just let him go for nothing either, if that makes sense. No, I totally agree. Like, if the waiver wire isn't ripe with juicy targets, and I mean, that's going to often be the case in Dynasty Leagues because the rosters yeah. tend to be deeper and all that, I'd keep holding him. Right. And as the season approaches, you get a clear picture of you know your own team needs, either due to injuries or whatever, then you can decide to drop a player like Gronkowski. At the very least, I feel like you should probably wait until the next round of you know Gronk might return rumors before dropping him to at least see if you could trade him to somebody for something, right? I'm, I'm with that. I, I would say I would sell on the first rumor and I would buy on the second one or something like, <laughs> like that. that. But but yeah, I mean like you know look, Gronk has the money, he's got the rings. He's going to the Hall of Fame. He's living the Gronk life, you know. I, 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 I tend to think he's going to stay retired, but um, definitely, if you're holding Gronk, I, I'd continue to hold for a while for sure. So you mentioned how you tried to get out in front of his retirement a season ago. Is there a player right now like that that you'd be looking to get out from under in Dynasty? Doesn't have to be a tight end, but like anywhere. I don't want to make myself sound that smart. Like I was getting out in front, like I knew he was going to retire. It wasn't so much that. I was more getting out in front. On performance, I, I just felt like sure. the odds on getting full-blown Gronk again weren't that great, so I sold. I think those things are tied together, though. Sure. No, you're right. I, I think that's true. Um, but for me, it, was, it wasn't it was so much scared that he was going to leave. It was that I, I just thought, you know, 17 TD Gronk was a thing of the past. And, and by the way, I think we're talking about two shares, so I don't want to make too big a deal out of it. Um and I'm sorry, what was your question? But is there a player like that now who you would try to get out from under at any position, not just tight end? <sighs> That's a good question. Um, you know, I'm sort of not the right person to ask because I err on the side of youth to a fault. Like, I don't have anybody like that on any of my dynasty teams. I think one of the older players, I, the only guy I have that's over 30, other than a quarterback, on any dynasty team I have is Edelman. And I just bought him at the end of last year. Um, and I'm not going to be selling because I'm still in win mode in that league. Um, I, in a two QB league, maybe Roethlisberger, Rogers, something like that. Maybe even Brady, right? Kind of along the same lines. Oh, Brady. yeah, Brady. Oh, Brady. I, can I get something for Brady? Yeah, I'm taking. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I, I'm not. I'm not a big person. I mean, you hear a lot of people talking about how Brady's game hasn't slipped. I, I don't agree with that. I think his game is visibly different. Yeah, every time I've gone back to my QB rankings this offseason, he's slid down, you know, one or two spots each time, and I keep talking myself out of him, and that actually worries me a little bit. Like, when I start to do that with a player, I, I start to go, man, you know, am I really bumping him down too far? But kind of similar to what you what we saw with Gronk, I feel like the performance has been lacking the last few years. You look at the way the Patriots are drafting, and it seems to signal that they're trying to protect him in the regular season with, you know, running the ball more so that in the playoffs he can be that, you know, prolific passer when he needs to be. It's it's a scary situation, I think. You just hit it. I, it to me, it's as much about, I mean, I do think that his, I mean, look, the guy's old. I mean, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm older than Brady and I, I know what it's like to get old. So um, I, certain things are just realities. Father time's undefeated. But like you say, it goes to another level where I think they're starting to, look at things differently like okay we've got an aging Brady as you say let's protect him let's not expose him I think more of that is coming and I think as you say I think there's some tells with the roster itself um so yeah I think this is an organization that won with Tom Brady not being an offensive superstar right I mean a lot of those rings he has he, he was just a good solid tough game managing quarterback so They've won that way before. Maybe they'll try to win one one or two more that way. I want to shift gears here now and talk about the team of Brady's former backup, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, the 49ers. And you took Kittle in the third round of that mock. I think yeah. that he's pretty intriguing there. I think he is you know, a very reasonable bet to be the 49ers' number one receiving option again this season. I think some regression should be expected, but I think that he's still their, their best guy in terms of you know, red zone production and just overall yeah. athletic profile. Uh, yeah, but, I'm really go ahead. I think in general, these lead tight ends, they have an advantage in this modern age where the receivers are getting shuffled in and out of the game, right? The, t- yeah. the tight ends tend to stay in there. And I think it helps them in terms of 
you know, cohesion with the quarterback and all that stuff. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on Kittle. I think with all these moving parts at the receiver position, Kittle's going to be that 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 deep rudder for the passing game. So I, I'm, I'm with you. And I like all these receivers, by the way. Um, I just think they're going to compete with each other, whereas nobody's going to compete with Kittle. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you is because if I agree that Kittle seems pretty locked in, but the rest of the roster seems so – hard to figure out like i don't know who's really going to get the targets like if you look it's at so tough isn't it i, I i'm with you 100 percent. i love these guys i'm a big fan of debo samuel but i'm a fan of marquise goodwin i'm a fan of jail and heard um I'm, they brought in jordan matthews who's sort of one of my guys you know kendrick Bourne is not a dog um and obviously um you know we've got dante pettis who's probably my favorite of all these guys um so I'm a little concerned about the ensemble nature of the receiving depth chart. Um, my guess is that Pettis is the one you want to own the most this year. Um, Samuel, if he stays healthy, could get into that mix too. But I think people are probably writing off Goodwin a little too soon. What are you doing with the running backs there? Because that's another messy situation. It sure is. Um, I, my money is on um, Brita being the most undervalued of the three. Um, and I think if, if I was going to bet on who's going to have the most fantasy stats at the end of the year, I, I would probably bet on Coleman, but you know, I, I wouldn't bet the house. <laughs> yeah. You're right in line with the four for four projections. We have Tevin Coleman projected to score the most fantasy points, but McKinnon and Breda aren't far behind him and that they're at, you know, similar projections, but I can't help but be reminded of, you know, parallels to those Patriots teams from past years where sure. it usually is just best to take that cheapest guy. And like you said, that's Breda. So I, I'm intrigued by all those pieces because I think if one of them gets injured, that might mean that both of the other two become fantasy starters for a anyone who owns them. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating case. You just hit the nail on the head for why I'm interested in all three of those running backs because I'm and I'm also going to probably use the methodology you outlined. I definitely would like to have a 49ers running back on most of my rosters. Um, and one of the reasons is all three of them are injury prone. So the odds on all three of them staying healthy to me aren't so great. Um, I think on a lot of the weeks, there'll be two out of the three healthy and you can use either one of them as an RB two. And Shanahan's running game, man, it produces, you know? And it's funny because so many people will look at that as a downside. Like I can't draft this player because okay. he's injury prone, but at least you have that clarity going in, right? You know, ahead of time that I might have to cut this guy, but I'm not investing too much in him when I draft him. So it's okay, but people have that fear. And so they might pass on any of these 49ers running backs to take someone like Lamar Miller. And at that point, I mean, I, and I'm not trying to disparage Lamar Miller. I think that he could be fine too, but that's the sort of mentality that I think can scare people off of what could be, you know, a potentially league winning pick. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's to me, the 49er running backs are all about well, what do I have to pay? I know I want all three, but you know, it's, I'm going to, I'm going to draft the one who fits into me, fits in price wise. I mean, if, if Coleman is slipping, um, I mean, I, I apologize. Do you happen to know uh, Coleman's ADP right now? So in the mock draft that you just did, he went at running yeah. back 32, and he went right after okay. Lamar Miller at RB31. So that maybe that was just already planted in my brain, but uh, that's that's yeah. about right. That's an interesting one. I think I think I'm on the Lamar Miller side of that. I think I'd rather have Lamar Miller, just because I think he's got a better shot at being a main back for his team. Coleman maybe has more upside. Because if he happens to land that job, as if he happens to take a big chunk, you're talking about a lead Shanahan back, and that could be something special. So I like both of those guys right about where they're going there. I think both of them make sense. Yep, they're back-to-back -back in best ball 10 ADP as well. Tevin Coleman one spot ahead of Lamar Miller, and both those guys right ahead of Rashad Penny, another potential you know timeshare back. So that, that's kind of the right range for those guys to be going in. But like you said, yeah. there's good opportunity potentially for any of those players. Yeah, you know, one interesting thing about, excuse me, I just dropped my pen. Uh, one interesting thing about Coleman, uh, for me, I like him going back to Shanahan because I love the way Shanahan used him. He, he flexed him around the formation a lot more than he has been in Atlanta after Shanahan left. Um, like you saw Shanahan slotting Coleman a fair amount of the time uh, when he was with the Falcons. I would love to see more of that. Um, the only downside I see is that the 49ers are already pretty jam-packed full uh, with slot type of players. They've got 
tight ends who can slot and they've got multiple slot receivers. So I don't know if we're going to see a lot of it, but I, I'm hoping that the move back to Shanahan for Tevin Coleman will mean a more diverse player that, like the one we saw a couple of years ago. Yeah, me too. Now let's get back to the guy who'd be throwing him those passes, Garoppolo. And depending upon where you look, he's around QB 21 or QB 22 in ADP. Do you think Feels he's, like a huge value. Yeah, I was going to say, do you think he's undervalued? Because we were really excited to pay up for him last season based on yeah. virtually nothing. And we're <laughs> in the same situation here. He's coming in with not a whole lot of context around him, you know, within this offense. But we projected him well last year, and now this year he's so much cheaper. Like, it seems like something's amiss here. Yeah, well... Hey, you know, how, how many how many of the top 22, 3, 4 QBs are coming off a major injury? I, I mean, I that that's it, right? I mean, people yeah. are hanging back a little bit because of the injury, which is fair. And it's a deep position. So I think a lot of people might be risk averse at quarterback this year because why take a chance if you don't have to? So I, I get it. But I, I think I'm I, I'm sensing that you think he's a value there. And I, I, I'm I'm pretty much in agreement with you. I think the thing the reason I think you could be more excited about Garoppolo this year versus last year, I, I would say there's two things. Um, first of all, now you're looking at what year three of Shanahan, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's important. The third year that this offense is installed in San Francisco, I think there's a really good chance that this offense could really click because everything's installed now. That's really good. And then the other thing is I think they've upgraded the weapons. Um, so I think, you know, this year, this offense could have an injury or two. Heck, this offense could lose Kittle. It would still be very good. So that's great for your quarterback when you're not dependent upon one single other player. So that's positive for Jimmy. It, it, uh, to me, if they can protect him, he's going to be pretty darn good for fantasy. Yeah, I just see him going barely ahead of Matthew Stafford, and that just seems kind of insane to me based upon the difference in the offensive ingenuity that I would <laughs> expect to see between those two teams, right? Yeah, but, I think I think Garoppolo is 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 definitely a value there. I I guess the question is who is going in front of him that we clearly want less than him. Um, does the name jump out to you in that regard? Like Brady's going ahead of him. We've already talked about how we might be out on him. I see, I'd rather have yeah, I'd rather have Garoppolo than Brady for fantasy this year. How about Trubisky? Because he's another one who's kind of well, actually. We're going to talk more about Trubisky later. Let's save that. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I, 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 Trubisky's weird. I, real yes. football. Eh. Fantasy football, I'm interested <laughs> because he runs and these his weapons are incredible. He's yeah. He's if that guy can just distribute the ball, he's he can put up crazy numbers. I mean, the, the real big takeaway here is we just want to wait as long as possible to take our quarterbacks because there will often be someone usable. Yeah, and, and it's, it's so weird in, in the draft that you and I are talking about the the four for four analyst mock draft. My plan going in was to be like if not the last guy to take a quarterback, one of the very last guys. And then there's only one quarterback taken um, in the top, seven I don't rounds. know. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah, there was only one in the top seven rounds, and I'm the, I ended up being the second guy to take a QB. Um, and quite honestly, I, it's probably one of my better picks, <laughs> to be honest with you. I, I felt really good about taking Watson there. And it's a total reversal. That's an in-draft flip for me where I, I changed my complete outlook on how I was going to play that draft um, because people just waited and waited and waited. I, I'm interested. To, I wonder what Scott thinks about Mahomes, Mahomes uh, in the fourth. Um, he has to regret that pick at this point because just seeing where all the other QBs went, like because he could have waited two rounds, you know what I mean, or even one round. Well, and, that's true. I mean, I mean, certainly you always regret it if you could have done it around later in that sense. But in terms of the way it affects his team build, I don't know if it drastically changes things. Because my assumption is when he takes Mahomes, I'm assuming that his thought process is I could take him here. I could maybe take him next round. He didn't see the drop in receiver being that drastic in rounds four, five, and six. So he just said, I'm going to take my quarterback here. Yeah. I, I, I think that's probably his thought process. And, and, if, the, and if it was – he probably doesn't regret it because he's his thought process is I see a bigger gap in Mahomes to QB two than the the gaps I'm going to see waiting on receiver in these rounds. And, and if that was the thought process, then it, it it still works even in retrospect. 
Does that make sense? It does, yeah. And I'm not I don't actually want to second guess Scott Barrett because he's a very sharp dude. <laughs> right, right. But he actually yeah, had one sure. of the more fascinating draft strategies here where he just handled yeah, he did. each position individually. It was all running backs, then his QB, then all wide receivers, then all yeah. tight ends, and then with his last four picks he kind of threw some stuff around. But just yeah. you know, kind of going through the roster position by position to fill his lineup, I thought was very fascinating. What did you think of that? I like what he did because I like the players he took in a lot of spots. Like right. I think the cup pick for him works i think the um josh gordon pick for him it might have been early but i think it really works um and i think the cootie pick for him uh, was a really smart pick because i think it buys him time uh kiki will be healthy early in the year i think he's a good bet to put up big numbers as long as he stays healthy um so i i you know i like what he did i really do um because he's he's locking in that high-end quarterback and stud running back thing so he's basically like hey if i can just find some upside at receiver i've got a really good team in some ways his draft strategy is sort of similar to mine it's car it's compartmentalized so he knew exactly what he was going to need to do with his team once he left round four i don't know it's a pretty interesting it's a pretty interesting team you know if doyle works for him at tight end i think he'll end up doing well yeah we're not and- playing this thing out so who knows but i think he would end up doing pretty well it will actually play out as a best ball, so maybe we can revisit this next offseason oh, and okay. see where, where these all ended up. And the caveat being that when people were drafting, they weren't drafting with best ball in mind. Like, but, Yes. Uh, I was yeah. going to say, for best ball, I like my team a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> Double time and stack is going to be pretty spicy. Do you have any other you yeah. know notes or takeaways from this mock draft that we uh, just wrapped up here in late May? Let me see. No, well, I mean, I liked Thorman's team a lot. I really thought he drafted well. And then I thought the draft worked. Like, you know, Derrick Henry staying on the board was great for him. Um, Thielen getting there in round three was great for him. Um, I like Mixon and Cook. I think that's sort of an unheralded start that really is a good one. Um, so I like Pat's draft a lot. I like TJ Hernandez's draft a lot. Although you know, the, his receiver picks I thought were a little bit maybe reachy. But the thing is he got – the fact that he stayed receiver running back early allowed him to make those picks yes. like Sanders and Miller. Um, and I really liked the Herndon pick for him a lot, but yeah, I mean, o- overall I thought the draft was interesting in that the quarterback stayed on the board so long. Um, I think in some ways that's the experts drafting like experts. So maybe it's the kind of thing we don't want to learn. Does that make sense? It totally does. You know, I don't know how many single QB, normal typical drafts will have quarterbacks staying on the board like this i think not many no i agree with that and, and we see that time and time again you know not in my league that this would never happen and but i mean right. th- this just goes to illustrate how we view the quarterback position when we're drafting is we don't think it should be that valuable whether or not that's how it's approached in you know any given you know listener league right right and then for me like i told you my approach was to wait 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 and in my defense eighth round i did wait a little (laughs) you you waited long enough yeah totally right but i took the second quarterback off the board so at that point for me i'm looking at well i've got elliot and i sacrificed upside with my little tight end diversion right (laughs) so at that point watson's a great pick for me because what does watson bring you well he brings you upside and spike games now, I want to get back to Derrick Henry, who you brought up again, and use him as kind of the jumping off point for this idea of a depth chart trap or a depth chart lie that, okay. you know, someone's might infer from looking at a depth chart. Like, sure. if I see Derrick Henry as the number one running back on that on that depth chart, and we saw that Deion Lewis, you know, once again failed to hold up for an entire season, and we saw what Derrick Henry did at the end of last year, yeah. I, I think that maybe he's being discounted too much based upon the perception that he's not going to catch enough passes and that maybe his ADP should be higher than it is in like the third or fourth round because he does have that bell cow profile. So kind of maybe springboarding off of that, what are Mm -hmm. some other situations where you think the perception of a team's depth chart doesn't quite line up either positively or negatively with the actual fantasy opportunities that you expect those players are going to receive this season? Does that question make sense? It does. Um, well, one one team I think where the depth chart is something you really need to get your head around is like the Bears, because I'm staying away from so many skill players that I love on the Bears because of the depth chart. There's just too many of them. Yep. I love A-Rob, but I mean, how could anybody be like an alpha dog target-wise when you look at everybody in that offense, right? I mean, I love Trey Burton, but no way. I mean, there's 
there's just too much competition for targets. Uh, even the running backs on that team, now there's three of them. Um, you know, Anthony Miller, I think, is a real up-and-coming talent. I love Anthony Miller, and I think he is positioned maybe as the slot guy. Maybe he could turn this thing on its ear a little bit, but as much as I want to allow my love for Anthony Miller to maybe reach for him in some of these drafts, um, I just I worry about him getting the requisite targets. I don't know that he's going to be able to. So that's one example where the depth chart, I think, we get excited about these Bears players because they are really good, but I think some of them, even the good ones, are going to get lost in the shuffle a fair amount. I feel the same way about the Philadelphia offense. They seem yeah. really, really deep, really loaded, and I think that those yeah. guys are fine picks for best ball. But week to week in a you know normal seasonal league, I think it's going to be really tough to sort out when yep. to start those guys. I think that for that I, I reason, right. Carson Wentz should be fine, You know, assuming that he's healthy, and that's a whole different you know black cloud yep. we have to look through. But yep. the Eagles offense has that same sort of look to it to me. I think you're 100. I'm with you 100 percent when it comes to the outside weapons, pretty much the wide receivers. Obviously, I take a slightly different tack on Ertz. I think he's going to be okay, but yeah, I think um, Alshon's going to have trouble getting the diet that he needs to be, you know, a, 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 a wide receiver too. I think Deshaun Jackson's going to have a great season, but for fantasy purposes, I, I don't know that he's a top 36 guy. That might be a bit of a stretch. You know, I, you know, on a weekly basis, can you put him in your lineup? Sure. But is he going to be a, a weekly third receiver? It's going to be tough getting the type of targets he needs to get with so many good options in that offense. How do you feel about the New Orleans receivers after Michael Thomas? Like, how long can Ted Kinn Jr. keep holding off Traquan Smith and or Keith Kirkwood? And, I mean, how, how how's Jared Cook going to shake things up in that pecking order? Like, this is another situation where the depth chart doesn't really tell us the whole story. And the depth chart, you know, with the Saints, we, we just barely tapped on all the guys, right? I mean, Thomas and Traytron and Kirkwood and Ginn, um, and you, you've got guys like Cobbs and, uh, you know, guys like that. So in Austin Carr and Cam Meredith is still around if he gets 100%. Mm -hmm. So there's a, lot, there's a lot of moving parts, guys who can play uh, on that depth chart. So as much as I love Traquan Smith and I've got some shares of him, I'm not ready to lean in on him yet. Um, for, for all the reasons that, that you speak of. So, yeah, I mean, for fantasy purposes, yeah, it's Michael Thomas and then maybe the tight end. And after that, yeah, you're taking these – all these guys are swipes at upside and you're going to have to, you know, wait for the first couple of weeks to play out before we have a real bead on did anybody really snag this second receiver role. Right, and it doesn't help that in any given week they could kind of pull what we were talking about with the Patriots earlier, where they just go heavy with Kamara and heavy with Latavius Murray, and Drew Brees just isn't passing. That. Absolutely, and and uh, uh, that, and then I was also also like the Patriots, they may get opponent specific in terms of which of these receivers they decide to use on a certain week. Right. You know, they, they they may think they have a speed matchup at the number two corner and Ginn may get more run. They may think they have a size advantage and and, and Traquan could get more run. Um, so I think that that could end up being a factor, too. So all these questions kind of bake in risk to the players. And we see that reflected in ADP with the New Orleans receivers. Yeah. But do you think that that makes them values or do you think that they're discounted You know, for a good reason, you know, for all the reasons we just talked about? I think, well, look, maybe if, if, if somebody establishes that two-receiver job and you drafted him, you, you, you'll hit. But is there anybody that I'm sort of leaning in on? No. I, I don't see the kind of upside in any secondary receiver on that team right now where I'm chasing them in, in redrafts. If you had to bet your life on one of those guys to be the second scoring wide receiver, second most scoring wide receiver behind Michael Thomas, which one would you pick? Traquan. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, any other you know depth chart situations that are murky to you or interesting to you? Um, yeah, well, I mentioned the Pittsburgh running backs before. I think I like Connor to be the best back in that backfield. Do I like him to the extent where I want to take him at like seven, eight, nine in the first round? No, I don't. So I think that depth chart could be a little bit of uh, some fool's gold. Um, I think. Uh, Mark Andrews, I think we mentioned him earlier, is a guy I really like as an upside guy. But I also think, you know, Hayden Hurst is a very talented player with more draft capital. So I think there's a little bit of a potential gotcha uh, there. Um, I, I've heard people talking Fournette down. Um, I, the depth chart for me in Jacksonville 
really helps Fournette. Um, so I think that's a backfield where I'm higher on Fournette probably this year than I was last year, if it makes any sense. Who else? I, I, I'm a little bit high on uh, Penny, who I mentioned before, Rashad Penny. I think this is a year where I think there was some culture shock for him last year. Um, so I think that big depth chart um, at the running back position in Seattle is really a two-man depth chart. And I think Penny is a really nice sleeper pick in the mid-rounds. Um, I think the Jets receiving depth chart is a little bit you have to sort of decipher it. Um, I think maybe the guy that might be sleeping for some people, and I took him again in this draft, is is Crowder. I think if Crowder wins the slot job, you know, as much as I love Quincy Nunwa, he could be a little bit of a lost cause for fantasy purposes playing a lot of X, um, where, tar- um, where Crowder could really fall into a lot of targets in the middle of the field for the Jets um, because the Jets really have a good deep threat in Anderson, and they've got a running game. So, you know, Crowder to me is going to have some space to work with. Um, so I think on the depth chart, people may see Anunwa and think slot, but I think Anunwa is going to spend more time outside. And if Crowder plays well and stays healthy, he could maybe buck the depth chart a little bit. Yeah. I, I'm with you on Crowder, and I really like the penny pick. He was definitely on my list. That Seattle running back depth chart is one that I just yeah. do not buy with Chris Carson. Is you know maybe a, some people might assume he's this clear cut RB one based upon what happened last year. Right. But you look at where Seattle drafted Penny, and admittedly, you know draft capital doesn't mean as much in Seattle as it does other places. But Fair Penny point. was you know last year's first rounder. Carson was the seventh round pick. Penny has right. younger legs. Carson's coming off knee surgery. Penny had yep. relatively solid rookie production when he played. It was just a yep. very limited, limited workload. He hit five yards per carry in seven of his last ten games. That's including the Seahawks playoff game at Dallas. Yep. Didn't catch many passes, but he was really productive as a receiver in college. And just generally a more productive college player than Carson. So, I don't know. I just right. really see Penny stepping up. And he should see more targets now that Mike Davis is gone. And that's one where I see Carson ahead of him on the depth chart. And... I don't think anybody should be surprised if Rashad Penny outscores Chris Carson this year. I think that's a, a great call. I have to bring up some quarterbacks here because I'm a, a yeah. two QB enthusiast. I, I think it's crazy t- for Washington to list anyone but Dwayne Haskins as their yeah. top QB. Like, if I you agree. draft a guy where they drafted him, he's going to be the starter most of the year. And even if he's not starting week one, you have to assume he's going to get that gig eventually, right? Yeah, I mean, and I don't have a problem with him not starting week one. Sure. I think the you know first of all he's a guy who didn't have a lot of college starts and the the fast track for these rookie quarterbacks is so much harsher than it used to be they've had so much time removed from the process that I think just to get everything in in their mind make sure they're comfortable before you throw them in there so yeah if if I were if I were Washington Haskins is my starter with the caveat as soon as he's ready so I'm thinking it could be week one but it could be two three or four as well but yeah he's <laughs> You're, they're 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 nuts if they don't play Haskins for the bulk of the season, in my opinion. He's he's just too good. Yep. And who else are they gonna play? What what <laughs> I mean? What, what do they have there? They've got Keenum and they've got uh, Colt. Colt McCoy <laughs> coming Colt. off injury. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, pretty... nothing against Colt McCoy, but come on, put 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 the big man in there and let him, let him start learning. He's a tough kid. You know, I, some guys I worry about as rookies. You don't want to damage them, but Haskins is a really tough kid. I, I would make sure he's got the full offense digested, make sure he's comfortable. But as soon as he's got that, I, I want him on the field. Yep. And in those two quarterback formats, that is generally where you want to look for the really deep values is with the bad teams, unfortunately. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get bad fantasy production because quarterbacks sure. score points more easily than any other position. So I think Absolutely. that you can look at Washington, you can look at the Giants with Eli Manning and Daniel Jones, and we're already starting to hear you know, these rumors that maybe Jones will be the starter right away. It Maybe even Flacco and Locke in Denver. Those yeah. are situations where the depth chart says one thing, but by the end of the year, we should not be surprised if the fantasy value is the opposite. You know what I mean? Right, because I mean, I think any time you have a team that could go south with a young quarterback, th- that's sort of the magic formula, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, once once their season's lost, they're going to start looking to get the get the kid in there, keep the fan base happy, stay relevant, you know, you know. So yeah, if 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 the Broncos if, if the Broncos are four and six, I think you're going to start hearing calls for Locke. <laughs> doesn't doesn't that wouldn't shock me at all. Let's check in on some other quarterbacks to close out the show here, Pete. And I'm curious, what went through your head when the Panthers announced that Cam Newton is going to unveil a new throwing or a new set of throwing mechanics this season? 
Yeah, well, I mean, if I, I was excited. I think that could be really great um, for Cam. Um, they did. I didn't hear anything. Did you hear anything specific about what it's going to be? I heard it was sort of like a. It's going to be a big. It's like they're pulling a, a sheet off of Cam, and you're going to see a new throwing motion or something. Like he's a at a car show or something. But um, no, I didn't hear anything. I, yeah. I think it's kind of silly. I, I guess that's really what I want to get to with this. Is that? Well, it I, depends. I, I I think it's silly if it's something silly if if it's about him actually getting his weight distribution right on his throws i think it could be amazing for him um cam newton's a phenomenal talent obviously he's a good thrower of the football but he makes so many back foot throws by choice if they could if they could get him away from that and get him stepping into his throws more consistently um it, it would be good for his shoulder and i also think it would be good for his accuracy yeah, I don't disagree with any of that, but I just I think yeah. it's so tough to untrain guys on stuff like that. And I wonder have any attempts at something like this ever succeeded in the past? Like, can you think it of depends. an example player who's pulled something like this off this deep into their career? Yes and no. I mean, no would be the answer. But have we had a quarterback like Cam Newton before? It, it, and what I'm what I mean by that is a quarterback who can play suboptimal technique. How old's Cam now? Is he 29, 30? Sounds about uh, right, yeah. You know, he has literally played in the league for five, six years with suboptimal technique. Now, most guys simply couldn't do it. They would be out of the league, you know? So it, it's sort of a – he's a unique player. And I listen, if you're talking about changing his release point, I think that's a bad idea. If you're talking about changing, you know, his elbow position, if you're, you know, really getting into the, the guts of his stroke – I think that's a bad idea. But if they're talking about just getting him to get his weight distribution a little bit more into the throw versus leaving the throw, I mean, weight distribution is a, is a funny thing. And his he's got that tiny little bit of weight moving away from his target. If they can just change that a tiny bit, it, it could really have a positive impact. And it's not the kind of thing where guys are relearning how to throw. You follow me? So I, I'm excited about it if it's what I think it could be. If it's some kind of gimmicky thing where they're they're moving his wrist around or changing his grip or God knows what, then, I, yeah, I'm like you. It's maybe gimmicky and who cares. Yeah, I just don't know how easy it is to untrain a muscle memory, I guess, is really my it, issue with it. And you're right. Like, if it's something minor, well, maybe it can pro, be done. right? I teach technique. I, I, like, I've coached college tennis teams and stuff, so I love technique. And it, so – I know what you're talking about. And when you break an athlete down and try to build him back up with technique, it can be a huge undertaking. And to do it with a pro quarterback, you know, fairly close to the beginning of a season on a year where he had a surgery. Yeah. I think if they're going for too deep a change, it could be a big mistake. But if it's something like what I'm talking about, where it's just a matter of getting him to get his weight into his throws a little bit, I think it could really have a positive impact because I really do think it's something that it's a problem in his game. He makes a lot of his throwing errors on those snap pure arm throws. And if they could just get him his weight a little bit into those throws, yeah, it, it could really make a big difference. Sorry, yeah. I'm going off on this, but no, it's fine. It's great. I mean, you know, you clearly know more about this stuff than I do. I just, yeah, I guess. And, and you for, know how he, you know, it, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say the thing for me is that, I just, he was good before, you know, and, and maybe he wasn't right. his best, his best self, the best possible version of Cam Newton that he can be. And right. I admire the fact that maybe he wants to try to achieve that level of play, but right. this is one of those, if it ain't broke, don't fix it sort of situations, maybe. And yeah, I guess my ultimate fear is that they're going to make, by trying to change the way he throws, if it is a more major change, like they might make him worse or make him more inconsistent on top sure. of, you know, the inconsistencies that he already had, but you know, so far to his career, a lot of that has been made up for with, you know, the rushing value, at least in fantasy terms. But I, I just, yeah, I worry that, like, maybe he might get in his own head too much and, and all these, like, kind of narrative-based things that we can't no, really no, no. track I, that easily. But I, it, it I does matter what, to us as fantasy players, right? Yes. No, no. I don't think what you're saying is narrative-based. I, I th These are real things. Mechanics are real. Um, so, yeah, you're changing mechanics. You're, you're going to go in and, you know, you're kicking the hornet's nest a little bit. You're messing around. As you say, you're taking something that's been good over the course of his career, and you're in the attempt to make it better, you could make it worse. Um, 
I'm going to look at the situation. I'm going to look at the fact that he's had a shoulder in injury. I'm going to look at the fact that they're getting into a little bit more of a distribution-based offense versus a throws-based offense. Mm-hmm. This offense is, is less about Cam hitting small windows and more about him finding the path of least resistance and trying to get the ball to the target in rhythm so so he can set up yards after the catch. Yeah, I, I'm guessing that that's what this is all about. And my guess is that it's about his base. So we'll, we'll see. I think they're hoping to get his base moving forward a little bit more consistently on clean throws. But that's nothing but a guess. This has been a pretty roundabout discussion on Newton, but how are you valuing Sorry him in that. fantasy? No, it's great. I, I just want to know, like, when the rubber hits the road here, what are you doing with him in drafts? Well, I've been a little bit hold offish on Cam because I want to know more about the shoulder. As soon as I'm feeling comfortable with his shoulder, like as soon as there's like if I if I hear Cam Newton's no restrictions in training camp, I, I'm I'm on him. I like him a lot. I like this offense. I think I love the direction they're going. I think they're going to keep enough of his leg stuff in where he's still going to be a good foot point quarterback. But what I love about this offense for Cam is if he can just embrace it. And I think he was last year. I think he we were seeing a little bit of a mental change in him. Just the way he was targeting McCaffrey showed a little bit of a mental shift. I think he's starting to see the value in letting other people do the work for him a little bit. Yep. And in that sense, get the ball to Samuel, get the ball to McCaffrey, get the ball to Moore. If he could just get into that mode, when you combine that with the foot points that he can bring, his upside may be higher than it's ever been. What's your read on the value of Mitchell Trubisky? We touched on him briefly before, and you kind of talked about how stacked that Bears offense is, but what are you doing with their quarterback? Because like you said, good in fantasy, not necessarily good in real life. I mean... It's a deep position, so am I targeting Trubisky? Not really, but I'm, if I walk away with a, a late QB pick and Mitchell Trubisky, I'm I'm fine. I'm very happy. Uh, I, I I think that offense is get the ball out of the quarterback's hand into the playmaker's hand, and if you can't do that, run. I like that for my fantasy quarterback, right? Like when, when all else fails, run. That's sort of their offense. So that works for me. I, I think you're going to see a lot of the spike games that we saw last year. Um, so I, I love Trubisky in best ball. I like Trubisky in seasonal. Yep, I think you you nailed it. He's a great best ball QB and not as great of an in-season player. And that's just the way you have to approach him. Yeah, he's a matchup play. I think you, I, you know, we're still learning maybe the skeleton key to which matchups you might want to play him in. But I think he develops into sort of a matchup play in seasonal. Because, heck, you could have him and Brady as your quarterback and take him in like rounds 15 and 16, right? Yep, definitely. Now let's check the hype level on two of the highest or fastest rising players out there. Baker Mayfield about QB5 in draft ADP. Kyler Murray is about QB8. These guys are flying up draft boards, and I've already talked about how I want to wait at the position anyway. What would you read on these guys? Do you think that one of them is necessarily more overvalued than the other? Uh... No, I mean, I, 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 I like Mayfield a lot for fantasy and, um, you know, Kyler Murray, I think is maybe there's a little FOMO in there, maybe, but I'm a big believer in, in, in fantasy. I'm a big believer in running quarterbacks. I generally speaking, if you look at most of my rosters, you're going to find a lot of Mahomes and running quarterbacks. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm fine with taking, uh, Kyler and I'm fine with taking Mayfield now, their ADPs are probably more what I'm looking at than their position relative to the other quarterbacks. Um, I just don't want to take any quarterback early is really my thing. But, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with Mayfield. I'm happy with Kyler Murray. Now, if I take Kyler Murray, there's probably a pretty good chance I'm going to take a second quarterback because I'm a little bit concerned about that offense. Like, what if the offense isn't clicking out of the gate? Um, so I probably would want Kyler Murray, and then I'll take Cam as well, something like that. But I definitely like the upside swing of Kyler Murray. I mean, if they let that kid run, the fantasy points could be crazy. And, and like you said, who cares if the team's good, right? I mean, I'm just drafting Kyler Murray's fantasy points. Does his mobility make you less wary about the offensive line there in Arizona? Yeah, absolutely. And look, I again, I'm just looking for stats. I mean, if if he's running around, I don't know what the coaching staff's going to put in his mind. 
I don't know if they're going to try to protect him or not, but if they give him the green light to just do what you want to do, and they may, his his foot point potential is just ridiculous. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's 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 higher than Lamar Jackson's. You know, this guy's Lamar Jackson, but he, but he, he but he throws throw like <laughs> right, but he throws like Russell Wilson. So, um, yeah, I I'm definitely in for the Kyler Murray thing for fantasy. I I have no problem with it. Um, the, the key thing to taking Kyler Murray to me is I want to get him at a place where I can afford to miss. If I can afford to miss, giddy up. Let's dig a little bit deeper where you can definitely afford to miss, and that's down around maybe QB 11, QB 12, because by that mm-hmm. point in the draft, everyone else probably has their starter. And yeah. you're looking at Jameis Winston, Jared Goff. Which one of those two sure. guys do you think is a better value this year? Uh, I would probably go on uh... – Winston, just because I like his weapons and I like the mentality of uh, Arians. You know, Goff, I, I have some worries that uh, – some, some worries. I mean, Cup has to come back at 100%. That's a, that's a factor. The running backs are a little bit – we're not 100% sure. So I, I think I'd probably go with Winston there. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that – based upon the team philosophy, like you mentioned, the fact that their defense is going to be worse than Jared Goff's mean that they're probably just going to have to throw more. And again, what we're looking for is stats here. That's all we really care about. So Yeah, I, I mean, I'm probably more inclined to wait longer than to go with one of those guys at 11-12. I would probably stick it out a little more and go for Wentz. Yes. Um, would probably be my move. Yeah, yeah I, I, my big concern with Winston is that I do think it's going to be kind of difficult for Tampa Bay to actually throw more than they did last year. Oh, yeah, no, 100% on that. I, there's no way. There's no way they're throwing more than last year, right? Yeah, they I, ran I, the sixth most yeah. plays overall in 2018. The Rams were fourth, by the way. Uh, they had the fourth most pass attempts. The Rams were 14th, so big disparity there. And then, of course, the Bucks had the most passing yards in 2018, and the Rams were fifth. So, you know, the Rams were much more efficient throwing the ball, but the volume was there for Tampa in a way that I think it should repeat to some extent. Will it repeat to the same level? I, I don't think it can. I, yeah, it, that was that was funny money they were putting down there last year. No way we can count on that kind of volume. You got a new coaching staff. Uh, Arians will throw the ball, sure, but uh, it's not going to be an air show the way it was uh, last year. The defense is going to be better right off the bat. They're not going to have to just lean in and throw the way they did last year. They're not going to. I don't think they're going to put themselves in because some of those games they just put themselves in holes and ended up throwing like forty-five times or something. Right? I don't think they're going to. You know, they're not going to have Fitzpatrick throwing three picks in the first half this year. Are there any other quarterbacks you want to touch on before we wrap this thing up, Pete? Uh, for value, we hit Trubisky. He's one of mine. Um, I think Dak Prescott is a pretty good value. Yes. You know, I, I, he's a guy that stands out for me. Um, again, I love those foot points. Um, really like him a lot in best ball, for sure. Um, but man, I can get him as my QB 20. I'm, I'm good with that. Sign me up for that every day of the week. That is, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, and, and Sam Darnold is another one. I think Darnold is a guy, if you're sitting there and you just wait out the whole thing and the guy you want isn't there anymore, I think Sam Darnold's a pretty good sleeper for fantasy. And I definitely QB 2 like him a lot. Excuse me, super. Yeah, he's down at QB 23 and ADP. And yeah, I mean, you just look at where Darnold is and we know that he's an ascending player to some extent. Like he's only going to get better. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see why, even in a super flex or two quarterback league, you would pay up for more than one guy. I can see, you know, paying up for, you know, you want to go out and get Mahomes or Luck or Rogers or whoever. Oh, yeah. Go sure. for it. But for yeah. that QB2 spot, you can wait a really long time. Now, of course, in those formats, you often want to get three quarterbacks. So you have a backup, and that definitely yeah. changes the math a little bit. But if you get one of those studs up at the top, you can really just kind of backfill with two guys from the back end, like, Darnold and Garoppolo or Darnold and Tom Brady. You know, Tom Brady is the QB 21 in ADP. And isn't it amazing? That's just, I mean, that is amazing. I I, I mean, I'm with you. Um, I'm actually sitting here looking at ADP while I'm talking. I apologize. Don't hate me on this. (laughs) But the guy after on on, on the, 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 the source I'm looking at, the guy after Darnold, I think is compelling in two QB leagues. Um, Derek Carr. It's sort of gross to say, but I think Derek Carr is going to put up some nice numbers this year. It is gross. I'm, I'm not a Derek Carr guy, but I get why, no, me why you like that pick. You know, because you look at their defense, you look at the weapons that they brought in. Like, he has better weapons now than he's ever had before. And 100%. they're going to be throwing a lot. And no one's taking his job. Totally. Yeah, I get yeah, it. I mean, that's, yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying I want to have fun and take care of Carr. I'm just, you know. 
25th overall quarterback, I get Derek Carr. That's not bad. It's all about value, right? And and you're getting yeah. stats from him one or the other. They not, might not be as pretty as you know something that you might get from Philip Rivers or Kirk Cousins or whatever, but they're points nonetheless. And because Absolutely. of how long you waited to draft Carr, that means that you have some sort of advantage elsewhere on your roster, whether that's running back or tight end or wide receiver. So I don't hate it. I actually, I mean, if you want to get even more trashy, I like Marcus Mariota going a couple spots after Carr. Sure. No, because- I... I- I'm with you. I'm with you. You get that Absolutely. running production. You uh, He has uh, A.J. Brown, another weapon. Uh, Adam Humphrey's another weapon. Like We've seen him be good before. He was bad for the past two years, but there are circumstances that can explain that, right? The injuries last yeah. year, and I, I'm not ready to give up on him just yet. Now, if he tanks Neither again in 2019, I'll probably get there, but I'm not there yet. Yeah, the fact that he's playing when he could barely throw last year, I, I, I just think people who are looking at just the flat stats i think that's a mistake with mariota i think you have to give him some degree of relief for the fact that he was playing the quarterback position with an elbow that was so messed up he couldn't throw i mean they were out there they had a couple games where they were literally doing everything they could to not throw the football because they had a dysfunctional quarterback i mean that's how much they didn't trust gabbard so i wouldn't put that on the player you know, like some some of Mariota's stats last year are on the organization. Yeah, most definitely. Well, hey, Pete, this has been great. I really appreciate you diving into the quarterback position with me specifically hey. because, you know, as, as a 2QB guy, that's something I do care about. And I, I do think it's underserved, especially in terms of talking about those lower tier guys. Um, is there anything else you want to hit on before we sign off? Or do you just want to let folks know where uh, they can find your work and all that stuff? Well, I mean, I'm with you. I'm not a two QB devotee, but at this point, half of my dynasty leagues are double quarterback. So, yeah, I'm with you. I'm I'm very much into the QB evals. Um, as far as me, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm at Rotobon on Twitter. I got my own site. You can uh, you can find it through my Twitter feed. Um, there's not that much else to say. <laughs> well, if you're if you're in the Boston area, turn into WEEI. And uh, what what time is the fantasy football yeah, hour well, out in those? Well, that's true. Uh, during during the football season and during uh, football preseason, um, we're on every Sunday morning. Um, usually uh, during the season, we're on eight to nine. During the off season, we're usually nine to ten, um, and that's in Boston and really all throughout New England. Um, Ninety three seven FM. Good deal. We'll tune into that, listeners, if you can. Otherwise, thank you all for joining us on this episode of the Most Accurate Podcast. Uh, Don't forget to go over to 444.com and subscribe if you haven't already. Get that $35 coupon uh, towards an FFPC league. And we will catch you next time. Adios. Goodbye.